1: Welcome to the Francisca show podcast on jewishcoffeehouse.com the show where i give a voice to jewish issues topics and people i'm Francisca your host welcome back to the Francisca show friend stands i love hearing from you i love talking to you so keep reaching out keep letting me know how you found the show how you're liking the show what you don't like about the show let's continue the conversation if you don't know we have a whatsapp discussion group feel free to join if you'd like to join the group, please message me and I will send you a link. The throwback episode for today is Being Single with Sephora Zilmanowitz. She's married now. The link is in the show notes. And today's episode is from a man's perspective of being single, his journey of dating, and what he has to share with the world. I need your help. Do you like The Francisca Show? Then you probably know that I dedicate a lot of time to this podcast and I really love doing it. And if you join me in this vision and mission. Maybe you'd like to sponsor the show, or maybe you'd like to dedicate a topic or an episode or advertise your brand on the show. If this seems like something you'd want to do, please do reach out. My contact info is in the show notes. Next, this is a Jewish Coffeehouse podcast. So there are other podcasts on the network that you may enjoy as well. So check them out. The link is in the show notes. I know we just had the premiere and release of Jewish Matchmaking on Netflix with Eliza Ben Shalom last week. We will be covering this on the podcast, so stay tuned for that. There is another current event happening, which is the release of Reclaiming Dignity, co-authored by Bracha Polyakov and Rabbi Manning. Bracha is a listener of the show. It's a humbling experience when I meet such Dedicated and smart and accomplished individuals, and then they tell me they listen to the podcast. So that's always nice. And I'll be interviewing her this week about her book. And that will be coming out in the next couple of weeks as well. One more thing I want to add. Last week I had Rifki Itzquitz on my show. This week I'm on her show. I actually think it's a great interview. For all of you who complain that I don't share enough about myself on this podcast, definitely go check that out. Out. I will link it in the show notes. So go listen to all the things I have to say. I really enjoyed that conversation. It's on the Be Impactful podcast. And I have a pretty extensive review/slash feedback from our local retailer owner, Jody's collection, here in Balikinwood, right outside of Philly, where Jody offers and services the firm fashion to our community. And she reached out with lots of feedback on last week's episodes. So I asked her to send me voice notes so I can plug them in here for you to listen. They will be at the end of the episode. There's so much more to say. Definitely check it out. Jody also went to FIT, just like Rifki. So go check that out and enjoy the show. Welcome back to The Francisca Show. Today with us, we have Binyamin Moalem. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi, thank you for having me.
1: Pleasure. I actually wanted to have you on for over a year. I believe we've been trying to make this happen. Do you remember last time we talked about it and then you were in Israel for a long time? I'm so excited to be doing this. The topic of today's episode is the perspective on dating through the Single guy's lens. I I want it to be uncensored. I want it to be raw I want to hear all the things that happen to you that people say to you and that you you would want to express back or you'd want people to know about you and we'll just start off by The way we start off every episode you could tell us a little bit about yourself both religiously and professionally Tell us where you grew up what institutions you went to and what you do professionally
2: So I grew up in Chicago I went to uh, religious schools growing up, if anybody's familiar with Ari Crown, Skogia Shiva. I left Skogia Shiva after 11th grade. I guess you could say I dropped out of high school. Technically, I never finished. Went to Israel for a year, went to IU, then law school, and now I work as a lawyer.
1: And religiously, where would you say you're now? Uh,
2: Lateral Orthodox, let's go with that.
1: Great. First question, tell us about your dating background and journey that you've been on and how it's changed, perhaps.
2: This is tough. I don't know that I had much of a, of a well, no, it definitely was a journey. I think we we're all on journeys. I'm 39, so this doesn't happen. Uh, you know, I didn't just wake up one day and realize, oh, I'm 39, I'm not dating. I guess you could divide it up into different time periods. I guess in my 20s, I was busy with school and it was kind of like, hey, if something happens, great, but I'm, I, was, so I was kind of under the illusion that... Uh, And maybe for some people, this is the case. And, you know, some people, they meet somebody, you know, when it comes to these things are very easygoing, not very risk averse or whatever it is that that allows people to get married at such an early age after such a short amount of time of knowing somebody. Um, It was in my early 30s. I realized that, no, we're not all cut out like that. And uh, there's there's never going to be a somebody who's perfectly tailored for you. There's a leap of faith involved. And we could talk more about this, but I went through an, an experience that uh kind of forced me to relook at how I viewed dating and how I viewed, you know, searching for somebody. Uh, it's a journey that I'm I'm still working.
1: Are you open to sharing what that experience was?
2: In brief, uh, basically I dated somebody for about 9 months and I just it wasn't wasn't there. Like, I just wasn't feeling it, whatever that is, whatever you expect to feel or you think you're going to feel, you know, like, hey, whatever, I'm in love, whatever it is that when people are like, oh, I just knew she's the one. For some people, I guess that's true. I I don't, I think there is a very large group of people out there that uh, there isn't the one. There's somebody you could, and this doesn't sound very romantic, but at the same time, people who think that they're just waiting, especially at my age, you're just waiting for that to happen. It's just not going to happen. If it hasn't happened in the last 20 years, it's just not going to happen. I didn't have that feeling that I just thought that, you know, I'm sure of it. I wasn't sure of it. You know, I'd it, for someone like me who's risk averse and I want like to talk about what I learned afterwards. I'll speak about that in a minute, but I just, I wasn't feeling it. And if I rewind just about a year before I met her, I would met somebody else who there's no way it could have worked out. But in my mind, I thought like, oh, she's perfect for me. Why can't this work out? Why can't this work out? And I never had the feeling for the one that I, the girl I was dating, this the same one that I had had the year before for somebody else. And in a very, very quick period of time, she ended things, uh, rightfully so. I just wasn't there and she wanted to get on with her life. Um, I don't have any hard feelings towards her. She, she didn't do anything wrong to, towards me. And a very, very short time later, she got married, like very short time. And that kind of crushed me inside. Like I thought I had ruined my life. I just didn't eat for like two weeks. I lost 12 pounds in like a week. It was like, I literally couldn't do anything. And I realized that that experience could not have been for nothing. I needed to take the lessons that I learned and uh, apply to moving forward otherwise i'm never going to be able to move on and uh one of the things i realized was the reason i i didn't have the the feeling for the second girl as i did for the the, the one a year before was because the girl the year before i was it wasn't real i knew that that could never work out for various reasons um so i allowed myself to fool myself into thinking that You know, oh, if only she's perfect for me. But, but it had had it been a possibility, I would have immediately found a million reasons, or you know, or at least one, why it couldn't work out. Because there's always a reason why. There's nobody who's a perfect fit for anybody. You 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 learn to. And again, I've never been married, but it's something. Relationships are a give and take. And
1: can you give examples as to what was unrealistic and why that? I'd rather not.
2: Wait. Oh, you mean why the first girl was unrealistic?
1: Like, just ballpark was. I, it I a mean, well, it, so well,
2: Ms. no, it was no, no. Was the first crazy. girl wasn't realistic. For we we worked on a project together for some period of time, uh, but uh, she wasn't religious. She had a boyfriend. Like, we worked close. We worked very well together, and we liked each other. It wasn't just like that. You know, it was my own. You know, she was
1: unavailable.
2: Right. It, it, it was yeah. It could not have happened. Had had it had been a real possibility then I would have immediately gone to all the reasons why we could not be together. And there were plenty. It's just your mind only sees what it, your anxiety wants it to see, which is something that I learned on the journey I went on after that. I also learned a lot about... So I learned that I needed to take these lessons and really try to work on focusing on what is there and whether those things are deal breakers. And at the end of the day, there's going to be anxiety involved. There's going to be, but it's a leap of faith. And if you want to move on with your life, it's something you need to do. And I started getting into attachment theory, if you're familiar with that.
1: But for anyone who isn't, can you explain it?
2: Yeah, there's three basic uh, uh, four types of attachment, the way people are in a relationships. They're secure, I guess, for lack of a better way of explaining. It's just those who are like, hey, you know, we got along, we can, you know basically the, the people who can easily just get into fall into a relationship and stay in a relationship those people are secure they're happy with who they're with. you've got people who are anxious who now it doesn't mean that they I mean they could have other anxieties but their relationship form is anxious I'm, I'm not a therapist psychologist this is based on what I've read and how I'm applying my own life experiences but people who are always anxious about, you know, oh, he didn't text me back, he didn't do this. And you know, a lot of people are like that, especially in the beginning. You know, people have traits from each one, but it's 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 something that this is the dominant trait, I meaning they're always anxious about the person that they're with. Do they really like me? Do they want to be with me? And then the the you have the avoidant. And the avoidant is fiercely independent, loves having their own space, and has an extremely difficult time bringing somebody in to their their life. And uh, they always have a way out. They'll go on a date and they're looking for the door, you know, and not literally, but they're always looking for the way out of the relationship. And because they are, their anxiety is being in a relationship. And I think that a lot of, specifically males, because there are more, let's just talk about the Jewish community where there's more males than females. And uh, I think a the lot opposite. of opposite
1: me- they're more females sorry females, yes no? you're right
2: I, I that's what i meant to say i think a lot of men who you know if they're over 35 and you know they got a job whatever you know everything seems fine it's they're probably again i i don't want to i'm not assuming i don't know anybody individually i'm just saying that that's something that i think is not spoken about enough because people maybe less so now but you local yentas will be like oh why don't you marry this aside from the fact that these questions are really annoying and i don't like talking to them i think it's like you know first of all nobody ever knows what somebody else has going on behind closed doors and something people need to be sensitive to but at the same time this is a real issue that people have and i think you know sometimes you wonder uh, you know you have people who might have questions when they're younger and they're kind of prodded by, you know, I was not the type to go to my rabbis and have them kind of talk me into marrying somebody or encouraging me one way or another. I, this was always something I wanted to do on my own, for better or worse. I think it's something that needs to be looked at in the community and understood that some people are wired a different way. And those, those things need to be taken into account, Not just, but also it needs to be dealt with because I will acknowledge I am in therapy now for this. it since, I mean, this happened seven years ago where I kind of had this epiphany and I kind of went through waves. Like there was a period of time where I really tried working through it and it was like lifting weights, um, being in a relationship. It's, it's like you can't just go from zero to 200 pounds to, you know benching. You need to go increments of five, 10 pounds and it's painful and it's annoying and you don't want to do it. But if you want to get that goal of 200 pounds. And you keep running away from the gym, you're never going to get to it. You need to keep running towards it. And it, it's hard. Like, I went through a period of time where like I, I tried and then I, I was just so drained. I needed a break. Then I go back. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's just something it's that up. really should be, uh, you know, people should acknowledge. And I think people who might be listening who are males, who are older and can't understand why they've just never met the one, this might be something to look into. Email too. Uh, email too. It's not a male problem, but yeah i think it's, it's more, it's more prevalent amongst, amongst men. It's more common amongst many yes.
1: you consider yourself in the third category, and the part. way chatan put it or heartbroken women put it is uh the guys of the commitment issues
2: yes i mean that i i don't know if a commitment i mean i would say somebody with the idea being certainly in a
1: relationship certainly has not.
2: commitment issues yes no that that's without a doubt it's 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 tough it's it's you know And but it's not just you know commitment is just comes could come up in other areas as well you know you never want to lock yourself into something.
1: Well, have you bought a house or a condo ever? No. No. Okay. So (laughs) you said other areas. I was just no. No. No.
2: You're right. Again, I don't want to. I mean, I mean, the reasons I haven't bought a house or a condo might have other. There's other reasons involved as well. I, you know,
1: I'm not has, judging. I'm,
2: you know, I understand. I understand. I just want I yeah. people whoever's out there to get the wrong idea. You know, <laughs> I, I travel for work. Like,
1: Talk to me more about, I just want to go a little deeper into, is it, there's a better suit on the shelf that if you commit now, there's something else that might be better.
2: Yes. So yeah. we, the thought process behind it. Yeah. Your brain. And it, it's a, I guess it's a form of anxiety. It's, you know, you're dating somebody and She's obviously not perfect because nobody is. So your brain will hone in onto quote unquote imperfections, whatever they may be, and they, and they could be really stupid. But your brain will look for anything just to get yourself out of the anxiety. So that because it's 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 a real form of anxiety, and anxiety is selfish. Anxiety wants anything, wants to do anything it possibly can to make that feeling go away. So if that means focusing on something that is really stupid so that you could end the relationship and just get that, uh, then it it will do that. And you said, is it the fear of something better? No, absolutely. Because in your mind, it will be like, oh, well, if you don't, well, I'm sure down the line you'll find somebody else who doesn't have that issue, whatever it is, however dumb it may be. And your brain, your, your anxiety, the anxiety portion of your brain that's telling you this is, and I've learned it's the amygdala, you know, through my period of time of researching this topic, it's not going to be as, it's not very rational. It's going to tell you, oh, you'll find somebody who will have that, you know, if you just get out of this and, and, you know, the analogy I like to say is like, it's it's a high, you're driving on a highway and at some point you need to get off because the exits start to, eventually will start to become fewer and far between. And you keep telling yourself, "Well, you can get off this high exit, you know, and there's a really nice resort, there's a really nice rest, and all that stuff." But you know what? If I stay on it for a few more miles, maybe the next one will be even better. But it's not a good thing because, as I said, the exits become fewer and far between as time goes on.
0: Well,
1: the last and exit is is the cemetery. You either, you know?
2: <laughs> well, God forbid, but but you. Well, well, I'm saying you don't no, want to stay on the highway all end up in no, the ground. Right, but right, mm-hmm. but I'm saying no, but I'm saying you don't want to end up on you don't want to be on the highway when that you're right. At the end of your life you don't want to be on the highway. You want to be off the highway having settled down and you know and, and had a family. And if that's what your goal, I mean again not everybody that's their goal and everybody has their own considerations, but but yeah, you want to get off the highway before that happens.
1: So, is that your goal?
2: Yes. And it's been hard for me to for a long time I think that was my goal because that's what I was brought up and was expected of me and it got to the point where like I wanted it to be my goal like real and I'm I'm at the point now where yes I do it's but it's it's easier said than done it's it's something and also um, as I mentioned the You know, it's 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 there's work involved, but at a certain point you become and I, you know, I'm more prepared now than I I think the self-awareness aspect of it really goes a long way. I just had no idea. Like if you would have asked me eight years ago, why aren't you married? my answer would have been I haven't met the right one yet. And now my answer isn't going to be much different. Like I've just explained.
1: Was it hard for you to start therapy?
2: So No. I did it in uh, just two different rounds. One round was right after the the breakup. I was in such a bad place mentally. I just needed a, kind of like a sounding board. I wasn't ready to date or move on. I just needed to heal. But after that, I kind of started doing things on my own for a while. And uh, a little over a year ago, I realized no, I, I need I need help. So I I started going to therapy again. But this time, I you could say my head screwed on a little bit tighter because I, I don't have the the pain of, you know, the experience, I could kind of look at things a little bit more objectively and kind of peel away the anxieties and uh, things that are holding me back.
1: Have you ever been in a relationship that didn't feel draining, that felt energizing to the point that it overrode your anxieties? They talk about the zones in creativity and in work, for example. There's work that you do that you have to focus on and concentrate. And then there is that higher work when you're engrossed in it you don't even know that time's passing right so they call it the zone of genius
0: okay.
1: and and they recommend for artists or to to be in those kinds of jobs or works because then you're less miserable with your life so my question is if relationships or being in a relationship invokes so much anxiety have you ever been in a relationship where you didn't even think that oh i'm in a relationship and that's causing anxiety it was above that or that you never had that experience or maybe you had that experience and then three weeks in it changed
2: okay so i I don't know that i've had uh i mean i'm not an artist so these these concepts don't don't you know i kind of my brain works very like you're saying every job
1: you did you hated
2: (laughs) no 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 not at all no no I maybe I'm just not fully understanding what you're referring to but there uh, so two things there I, there have been times maybe in the beginning of a relationship and again if you call the relationships I've been in you know there haven't been many yes there are times you know in the very beginning you kind of feel excitement but I guess the way you could, the way I would frame it is the minute I kind of the minute I see that she's she's in yeah. not not ready i'm mean, like not ready to get married no but i'm saying that she's she's into me meaning she she wants to take it from let's say step one to step two not that again that'd be marriage but like let's say a relationship as opposed to oh we just went on a few dates that's when my anxiety kicks in and it's almost automatic uh, and then it's very hard for me to kind of enjoy the moment so to speak if that's the right term um i guess the one one time i could say that there was it's like if i don't realize i'm in a relationship if let's say there's a friend that we spend a lot of time together we've never spoken about like oh dating but we're kind of spending enough time together where you know one might say like we are dating then maybe the 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 pressure of like putting a label on the relationship that we're in you know, helps me avoid the anxiety and really trying and it allows me to better kind of. I, you're laughing. I'm, I'm, and I am and yes, it sounds, it sound, yes, I understand. No, I'm how laughing.
1: This. I'm thinking I'm thinking to myself, I could see you having some sort of legal arrangement with a woman where you start a family and buy a house. But as long as there's those legal boundaries where she's not your woman or she's not your wife. Meaning, as long as there's an an out, meaning,
2: as long as I have an out. Yeah.
1: No, the idea that a woman is exclusive to you or needs you or is in a relationship with you triggers some sort of anxiety response. And I'm not a, a therapist, I am just analyzing what you're saying. Versus, there's a life you want, but there are these emotions that once one activates the next one, you're automatically removed. From the desire of being in that relationship,
2: correct. I, I think, but there. So two things. So yes, or you're does correct. it
1: repulse you from the person and the idea of you know that partner? Well, no,
2: no, it doesn't repulse me the person, but well, there's a few things here to um, to unpack. Number one is when when your brain starts to get all anxious about like, oh, okay, you're headed towards a relationship and it starts honing in on like quote unquote issues that you have with the relationships just so that you have an excuse to get out. So that doesn't doesn't repulse you from the person, but it kind of makes you want to get out of the relationship or the whatever is going on, because your brain immediately says, it says, OK, I need to get out. There's a threat. Yes. No, there's a threat to your freedom and you need to get away. And just by the way, this is a problem that gets worse with age, because as you get older, you enjoy your freedom and enjoy the space and. Like, I, I don't know the reason for this. Maybe part of it is genetic. Part of it is also, I mean, I grew, I'm the oldest of seven kids, so it's kind of no surprise that once I got my space and my, you know, peace and quiet, I don't want to give it up so fast. I, sometimes I think that that could be, you know, a side rate. And again, it's not anybody's fault. It's just the circumstances I, I was born into. And I'm on I'm good terms with my family, and I don't want to be taken the wrong way by anybody. But you know, we're fine. You we know, love my family, but but it's um. But I also like my peace and quiet, and uh, that's tough to and my 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 space and people not being in my business, even though now I'm sharing more than I normally do. But
1: I'm so honored.
2: <laughs> but getting back to my, I mean, I, I was thinking about this before, and then I, I my hope for this is that. If there's somebody out there who this helps in any way and helps them either get help or helps a woman understand that the guy she's been dating, who she likes, but, you know, help her understand his mindset so that she can work with him and try to understand him and maybe go to therapy with him so that he could overcome whatever obstacles he has to being in a relationship. Because a lot of times, and I can't tell you for being married, I've never been married, but... You know oftentimes when you've got a decision to make and you have a lot of anxiety over what decision to make once you make the decision and you go with it you're fine and i would like to think that marriage though a much bigger decision would also fall into this category that once you do it and you're in it will be easier to live on as i mean it'll be easier than the actual decision itself so that's an aside But when you're in, when you're trying to get into a relationship, it's it's just very difficult to, to over, just your brain will try to do anything it can to get away from it because, and that's why when there's no labels attached and it sounds bad because like somebody will be like, well, what do you mean? You don't want to be in a relationship with me or whatever. It's again, it's, it's, this is the classic, but I think it's the most genuine. It's not you. It's me situation because no, no. I real, or I not just necessarily me, but anybody with has this issue, it, it's it's a real problem. Relationships are something that are an obstacle, and and you need to be able to work out what is a real deal breaker. Meaning, instead of emotionally, where I'm like, "I really, really like this person." And it's and it's again, it sounds it sounds very unromantic, and and I feel bad, but I think. It, this is just something you need to sort out in your mind because just like any any issue, somebody would go to therapy for.
1: Do you feel like therapy has helped you?
2: Yes, it's helped me kind of peel away the how deep it goes in my life, being like the the anxiety. I mean, I have anxiety in, in general and other things, but it's but it kind of helped me see like how anxiety dictates certain things I do in my life in how, how much I, it needs to be contained. And once you understand that and you're able to, I guess, get a better idea of what you want in life, you can move forward. And, uh, I think, uh, yes, I'm, I'm far more. And again, you know, it sounds weird coming from somebody who's 39, but it's better at 39 than at 49. so I'm mentally more, much more prepared now to actually be in a relationship and understand what it is I'm going through. And as opposed to before, where it's just like, not even, and again, it wasn't, it wasn't me, you know, being blind to my problems. It was just complete lack of knowledge and ignorance where, oh, I didn't meet the right one. But no, it's, it's, you have to understand it. Could this person be the right one? Maybe they really could be. And you just have certain issues you need to work through. Meaning instead of saying like, she's not for me, she's not for, she's not for me. Look in the mirror. Maybe it's you who's uh, thwarting something that could be good.
1: Self-sabotaging.
2: Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's a self sabotage. And get doesn't mean everybody's for you.
1: Have you ever heard of the green light, red light concept? I might have no. mentioned it once on the podcast. I have no idea what, where it comes from, but there's this thing called red light, green light. And as you described earlier, you were focused on your career and your work, and you weren't. You were thinking, oh, if it happens, it happens. But I'm not focused on that. So hypothetically, you had your red light on, and then no matter how perfect the girl the woman you're dating is if you have your red light on or you're not interested for, in a serious relationship it's not going to go through and the moment the green light goes off the first they they say half normal decent compatible person that shows up in your life you could seal the deal whereas maybe you have been in long term super long term relationships before but the red light was on so it was never going to happen do you feel like your green lights coming out <laughs>
2: it depends. It depends what you mean by red light, green light, meaning you were talking about me being focused on my career. I mean, I don't know that my red light was necessarily on. It was just meaning, or are you saying my emotional red light, which says I don't want to be in a relationship because for somebody avoid who's avoidant and I, and I can only speak for myself, I don't know that the green light comes on, maybe the yellow light. Like, your, your yellow light is always on because you are always on the lookout for red flags because that's, that's what your anxiety falls back on. Like, find that red flag and run. So, yes, I guess, you know, mentally, my green light is on. I want to move on with my life. But emotionally, and this is coming from somebody who I don't, you know, I try to work through things intellectually, not, you know, rationally. But the anxiety wise, the anxiety always wants the red light to be on. And... I'm going through therapy to try to get my my brain to say like to overrule the anxieties. Right, I think it's it's a little bit more complicated than than that. Yeah,
1: than that decision making process. You're you literally have to manually change.
2: But yes, no, you really need to rewire the way you approach these things, and it's not easy.
1: Okay, let's talk about some of your pet peeves around the shidduch system and how matchmakers have treated you or spoken to you or. What's the most common thing? What's so the most annoying I, thing? So,
2: so really, as a, a good question, we can make a little bit lighter conversation. I mean, in recent years, I have really had not had much to do with Sharifanim. Maybe they've given up on me, which is fine. The only, the, I mean, I just have some stories of where if you have any Sharifanim who are listening, maybe they should take heed to what not to do. I remember once, I was probably around 30 and a local Shadhan comes over to me and she's like, every time I see you, I get so sad. You could have like five kids by now. It's like, what was the point of saying that? Like, what What do what you gain? And what are you, what What am I going to gain from you telling me that? But my favorite story, it was actually the same woman. I was 30 years old. She kind of, I was at something, it was like a Yantiv or something. She comes over to me and she says to me, she's making small talk and I'm trying to keep it Small talk because I really didn't want to get any past any. I didn't want the conversation to go anywhere past that. I wasn't interested in whatever it is that she had to say to me. And uh, she kind of gets real serious. And she's like, you know, I mean, if people are listening, I have gray hair. And I had I started going gray at 17. And so I'm 30 years old. I have gray hair. And she's like, you know, if you want to take girls in their 20s, you need to have black hair. You really need to dye your hair black. And I started laughing. And she says, no, I've been doing Shadofin for however many years, she said, and uh, I know that, you know, girls in their 20s, they want to date a guy with black hair. And I, if that was my worst problem (laughs) when it comes to dating, then I think I'd be okay. But, and again, who's assuming that I only wanted to date girls in their 20s? I was 30 at the time. So uh, a few weeks later, I uh, actually, I I had a friend who I used to visit at uh, retirement home. And this woman's mother used to live there. So I was on my way out and saying hello to her mother. And she says to me, each time you each time I see you, she was like in her 90s. And you know, each time I see you you get more and more handsome. I'm like, yes, Mrs. So and so. Because each time you see me, my hair is grayer than the last time you saw me. And just then her daughter happened to be walking into the room and she's like, you know, you could do things about that. And I said, yes, but I'm not.
1: That, that's interesting. The comments on appearance and which women get all the time based on the research and experience i have in this space so welcome to the unpleasant
2: yeah no i i I, i can't imagine i mean i've only heard you know anecdotal stories like that i didn't realize it was so so common and uh again i wasn't hurt in the least bit i wasn't offended i don't care i i came to accept my hair color in my early 20s but yeah, I I have had I guess I have been upset not when people people have made comments to me, you know, people just kind of, you know, Yantis from the community who want to you know, there's the for anybody who's a curb enthusiasm fan, uh familiar with the term stop and chat. You know, when people on the street just want to start talking to you, people who you don't really know and you really don't want to talk to, you kind of need to have a line to get out of that. But there's also the stop and interview. Really, you know, Again, this has happened to me recently. I've just kind of been away from my hometown for so long and everything. So I, this doesn't happen to me so frequently. But when I was in law school and living in Chicago, uh, this this did happen. And then on the, the the worst one was the stop and lecture where somebody who barely knows you tells you why you're not married as if they know you. That I have had. And it's, yeah. it's, it's just disrespectful.
1: Yeah, I, I hear that. What is the number one reason people tell you you're not married, if I may ask?
2: Um, again, this, I haven't had one of these encounters in a long time, but I do remember somebody coming over to me and telling me, like, you're not married because you don't want to be married. You know, if you set a wedding date right now, you'll be married by then. Okay. Well,
1: I actually know someone who did set a wedding date and booked a hole and he did not yeah. get married. He did not find anyone to marry. So <laughs>
0: did he was <lose> a <laughs> deposit. Fact <backed> for that. <laughs>
1: uh, I have no idea. I'm sure he turned the event into some other event if, if the money oh, okay. was on the line.
2: There was a movie like that in Israel. I forgot what oh. it was called, but I saw it. Well, it
1: was an Israeli <laughs> guy, man, who did that. So, it, You're like, a, I don't know if they call it a unicorn, but it's so fun for me to talk to you because I'm on the end of the listening ear of the young women who talk about men like you, like not just you. And, and many men like you have gotten married, so... It's not like yes. it's a yes. No, I, state. I, have, I
2: have friends who, who who have worked through whatever it was, and and they're they're married now. It can be done.
1: Yeah. Is there anything else you feel like is relevant that I didn't ask you?
2: Yes. Yeah, there was one one question I thought you were about to ask. It is, what could the women do who are in this situation? And I think the and again, I can't tell anybody how much patience to have or how much... because I know that this is what happened. What you know, I was in a situation where. She wanted to get married. I wasn't there yet. You know, there's only so much patience you could demand of somebody. But if you really see something in someone and you think that this guy could be, you know, don't apply too much pressure because of the pressure and the anxiety. But again, you have to put enough pressure that that they're going to move and not that you're just going to let them coast as long as you want. Because this sort of indecisiveness could leave you coasting for years. And I'm not exaggerating. So there needs to be a proper balance of patience, but there needs to be in progress. The patience meaning needs to be on the progress, meaning I read a story about a guy who was in a similar situation around my age, and he wrote a book about it. And he said that, I mean, the book is called How to Commit. Some of the stuff, he's he's a, uh, he himself is a psychologist, I think. I didn't quite connect to some of the theoretical things he was talking about in terms of like mentally how to get over it. I connected a lot more to the book attached and, you know, attachment theory and how to work through avoidance. But he gave the analogy of working through, you know, the weights, I meaning you can't walk into the gym, not ever lifting and then expect to lift 200 pounds. You need to work through it, to work through the pain. And he said, when he finally got engaged to his girlfriend, he kind of had this breakdown in the middle where he's like, didn't think he didn't know if he could go through with it. And she calmly like handed him her ring and was like, that's okay. Just. Let me know when you're ready. And just knowing that she was calm about it and not going crazy at him, justifiably so, for because of his anxiety was kind of dragging her along for the ride, that calmed him enough to say like, oh, okay, you know, that I'm not locked in. I'm not, you know, I just was able to calm his anxiety just enough. You got to find the proper, bottom line is you got to find the proper balance to to make sure that the guy is... His anxiety is calm, under, meaning be understanding of his anxiety and help him work through it and make sure that there is progress being made. Because if there's no progress, then the patient's is for nothing.
1: Right. Because on one hand, you mentioned something about, you know, once you pull the plug, as you call it, or, you know, sign the ktuba, <laughs> you don't sign the ktuba. Women don't sign anything except the prenups. Right. But um, once you're over that hump.
2: So I'm a big proponent of the hawafic prenup. There's a chance okay. to plug it, so
1: <laughs> yeah, let's plug it. Then that sort of overcomes. There is divorce that that is a way out. Technically, like if that anxiety needs to be fed for the rest of its life, like we're we're not Catholic right. in that sense.
2: No, right. That 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 is a way. That's one way of thinking about it. You're absolutely correct.
1: And if I can leave you with anything, maybe it's that there can be an anxiety that. We're realizing that the anxiety of being alone at 70 might override the anxiety of having a wife and saying, yes, this is very uncomfortable, but I really don't want to be alone at 80. And this person seems like they fit everything I possibly need right now. And she's so understanding of my anxiety and craziness, if I may call that. Mm -hmm. But one overriding the next. I I don't know if that perspective or paradigm shift helps at all.
2: I mean, it's definitely it's definitely a form of anxiety that I do think about. But it's which one is more immediate. The one that's more immediate is going to be the stronger form of anxiety because that anxiety is going to tell you, yeah, but you're not 70 yet. And, uh, you know, give it a few more months. You'll find somebody who doesn't have that issue, even though mentally, you know, that's not true. Or not necessarily true. I, I mean, anything's possible. Okay, So but, let me
1: make it more you know, immediate. Hold on. You you challenged me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, let's say you get married tomorrow. You'll probably be 40 by the time your first child's born, assuming everything goes well. You'd have a 40-year age gap with your oldest child. And how many years do you want to spend with that child? So that makes that mortality much more urgent.
2: Yes. Yeah, no, I've, I've thought of that as well. That's also sure a thought you you that's crossed my mind. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's not easy. It is. It's competing. When somebody has anxiety, anything that you could possibly be anxious about, you, you'll be anxious about. It's like a vacuum. You scratch My one. The question e-
1: is you can't use one fear against the other as a tool.
2: Um, I guess you can, but like you said, one has to be stronger than the other. And the one that's the most immediate is usually going to be the, the stronger one. But you need it's a technique, and it would be nice if I could. Channel it that you know, fight. Have another tool to fight it that way. But it's it's usually the one that's more immediate. It's going to be the one mm-hmm. that wins out. Yeah. It, hopefully, it doesn't win out, and you finally overcome it.
1: So, any parting thoughts or words of wisdom? Parting thoughts for us?
2: It's just something to take into account. I think that the male viewer male listeners, who might be wondering why they're still single at, you know, plug-in the age, just be something to look into. Look into attachment. And there's a article, what really got me into this is a friend of mine sent me an article about this. It has, the article has like a short questionnaire where you answer a few questions and it really, you know, and it, there's questions that make you secure, questions that indicate that you're anxious and questions that ind- indicate that you're avoidant. And I'm reading the questions of the avoidant and it was like looking into like a window into my soul. This was a few years ago and it just spoke to me. And just knowing that I knew what all the issues were individually, but kind of putting it under a framework and knowing that there's something out there that will help me fight this was a big help for me. So I would really encourage anybody who sees this and people have other, you know, who are anxiously attached and have trouble with that. That's, that's also something to look into and to the women, just to be a little bit more understanding that. The guys are not necessarily all out there just looking to party and have a good time while the women are waiting around for the guys to get their act together. I mean, we're trying to get our act together, but it's a little bit more complicated than, uh, oh, we're just partying and we're waiting for the party to end because I'm not a big party person. That was never my thing.
1: Tell me about your latest endeavor online.
2: I I recently started an Instagram page where I curate the news from Israel. I have uh, individual slides uh, briefly explaining each story that's going on in Israel at any given time. Uh, the Instagram handle is at B-Y-Moala, my last name, B-Y-M-O-A-L-E-M, and I would encourage everybody to follow it.
1: And Good. one more thing to add, if I can just apologize first for seeming like I'm trying to fix you on this podcast, I want to make it public that I am not viewing you as a subject of needing fixing. I was trying to have no, a more I like, interesting like conversation. Like I said, if this,
2: is, if this will help somebody out there, it's worth it.
1: Yeah. And number two, one more thought I wanted to just throw your way is just like you explained that dating that turns into relationship activates the high anxiety, that anxiety activates that amygdala threat reaction in a woman who wants a commitment from a man versus being strung along. So your <laughs> your actions it's have difficult. their like- reactions, correct? And it's like red yes. flag yes. out of here. Okay. Yes. So thanks so much for doing this. I really enjoyed this conversation. I really want to hear from our audience and I hope this helps. And definitely check out the new Instagram page. We will link it in the show notes. So thank you, Benjamin.
2: Thank you very much. Good seeing you.
1: Thanks for sticking around until the end. And now if you'd like to hear the feedback about last week's episode when it comes to sizing issues in the firm community, CNIAS, and pricing from the perspective of the retail store. Definitely stick around for that. I'd love to hear what you think. Here's Jody.
3: Hot topic. This topic of being from and SNS and sizing and what are the big complaints and all that. Here we go. So let's talk about sizing. I don't really like to use the word plus sizes because I don't really think they're plus sizes anymore. I think they're just extended sizes. We've had a bit of a revolution in the from industry. I think that has to do with the fact that they just can't get the sizing right. I don't know that that's, I think it's an ongoing issue. I will tell you that while they may not have gotten it right in the past, I really think that these companies are striving to get it right. I think that they've addressed the customer. I think it's because the retailers have asked them to. I know in the past, for me, in my store, I've had customers disappointed and walk out of my store because an extra large doesn't fit them where an extra large should. There is no standard sizing in the firm industry, like there is in, I guess you would call the regular secular industry of clothing. An eight is not an eight or an extra large where it should be like a 12 or 14. It could be like a size 10. So there's for sure a need for a regulation and sizing's not going to happen. So I do see a push And I see it evolving that we have extended sizes for women. And I will say that every single manufacturer that I've worked with and over the last two seasons at least have extended sizes in their lines. What that means is that a woman can shop a regular label and have available to her double XL, which sometimes really just relates to an XL. And if she can ignore the sizing and just try on the dress, which is sometimes hard to do, she can find her size. What it means for the retailer, me, is that we have to spend a little bit more money so that we have sizes available for our customers. But that's an investment that we make. The other thing that I've noticed about extended sizes is there are one or two of my vendors that I deal with, and I keep a tight roster of vendors, that have gone into, and for lack of a better word, I'm gonna say the plus size business. And that's a really smart move, I think, it's a way to control their business. It's a way to make money. I think that the retailers are asking for it, and you can pick and choose where you're going to go with that. I have done that. I've definitely touched upon that in my business. It takes a while for that business to grow, but I think it's an important segment of our business, and it's also about getting the proportions right. That being said, it is always a beef for me and for my customers, and I hear it all the time, that our sizing is out of whack. It's crazy for a young girl to come into my store who may be, you know, five, seven thin and have to wear an extra large because she needs it for the length or because the proportions are out of whack or whatever. So it's a constant battle that I have for manufacturers, definitely size on the small side. And it can be very disconcerting. And sometimes I really have to talk to my customers and explain to them that it's not about the size of the garment it's about the fit and it's not easy because if you're used to wearing a size 6 and you have to wear a size 10 or if you're w- used to wearing a small and you have to put on a medium there's a psychological edge to that so it's not easy it's a constant battle that i fight but that is what it is as far as our business so yeah so sizing is a is a is a hot button topic many people many women have just gotten used to the fact that in their closet They may have a size extra small. They may have a small. They may have a medium. It is what it is. Um, And also, I just want to touch on the fact that there aren't enough plus sizes that, you know, they don't go high enough. It's very hard to do that. And it's hard to do it well. So the people that do only plus sizes, I'm sure and I hope that they have that mastered. I can see that for me, I only like to go up to 2x because the proportions get very sketchy. And I quite honestly don't know enough about the plus size business. So I don't venture into that past to 2X. I don't like to do 3X. It's also not my business. And I'm a firm believer of staying in your lane as far as business. And it has something to do with from companies being responsible to sell SNEA's clothing, which is something we touched upon or or was touched upon in your podcast. I really believe that from companies are responsible for selling SNEA's clothing because why else do we need them? For me, I represent a certain standard. It's basically my mission statement. You come into my store, you're going to find a dress that's going to cover your elbows. It's going to cover your knees. It's going to hopefully cover your collarbone, depending on where it falls and, you know, how you're built and where your shoulders are and all of that. But that's what I provide. That's the that's the service that I provide. Within that framework, You're going to find different price points. You're going to find price points, you know, for a skirt that could start at $26 for a girl that goes up to $72. You're going to find dresses for women that start at $64 these days or maybe $49 that go up to $300. Within that framework of basics and Shabbos and Tov, and now what I'm going to be bringing in this year or next season actually is... Simpleware, which I, I feel like there's a need for that in this community, within that framework, my responsibility or what I feel my responsibility to my customers, to the ultimate consumer, to my community here, is to provide for them the most beautiful, the most current, the most fashionable SNEAS clothing. If not SNEAS clothing, then they can go anywhere. Then they can go to Zara or they can go to Saks or they can go to... H&M, or wherever they need to go to buy a short sleeve dress. They can buy a beautiful short sleeve dress. Or they can buy a beautiful V-neck T-shirt that's 20 bucks, Or they can buy a short skirt that they don't have to spend $64 on, quite honestly. They don't need me for that. What I'm here to do and what I'm here to provide and the service that really I'm passionate about providing, and I really get passionate about this, is to provide my customers with beautiful SNEAS clothing. That's what I'm here for. That is always what I created my store for. That's what I started my business for. And that's how it's grown. And that's what I do. And if not for a from manufacturer, I would not be able to have my business. And I've gotten to the point where, except for one children's manufacturer, and I don't even think I'm going back there, I only buy from, from manufacturers. I only. Why? Because when I walk into that showroom, I know that I'm going to find merchandise that fits exactly into what my needs are. Dresses that cover the knees, or, okay, 21 inches from high point of shoulder to hem, which is an industry standard. Kosher necklines, within an acceptable range, which I know what I need and sleeves that are gonna cover the elbows. So thank God we don't have to wear shells anymore. But really, this is what I need, whether it's for women or girls or teens. I know I'm gonna walk into that showroom and what they're gonna show me when I say to them, is it gonna cover the knee? Yes. Is it gonna cover the elbow? Yes. If I choose to buy a sleeveless dress, I can get it with a cardigan that covers it or I know that I can find something to wear underneath it. That's my choice. So yes, I believe it's the responsibility for manu- manufacturers to carry SNEAS clothing. Okay, question is, you say, well, so they have a 23-inch skirt and they have a 25-inch skirt and they have a 27-inch skirt. So you can buy a short skirt. Yes, of course. Of course you can buy a short skirt. And do I stock those skirts? Yeah, of course. I'm going to have a 23-inch skirt. Well, maybe not. I'll have a 25-inch skirt. I actually don't have a 23-inch skirt in my store for women. But when somebody comes in and they try on a skirt and they say to me, Does this cover my knee? They want from me the answer that it does cover their knee. That's what they want from me. I don't know what they want from other people, but I will tell you what they want from me. Very often I have instances where people come into my store, they need to sit on a chair to make sure that it covers their knee. That's my store. That's my customer. Part of knowing how to be successful, I think, is knowing who you are, who your customer is, and thriving within that framework. Again, I really believe that it is on the responsibility of the firm manufacturer, I think they would agree too, that they carry SNEAS clothing just the way it's my responsibility to uphold a certain level, my level of SNEAS in my clothing. That's what my customer ex- expects. If you don't need that from me, you don't shop from me. And I get that. That brings us to another big point. You know, I talked about different prices and things that are available. You know, and, and, and a big, I guess, complaint, or, or I think maybe concern is probably a better word for people today is price. And it's a real thing. There's no, there's no beating around the bush about it. We've all seen it. Prices are going up. And I think that no matter how we try to rationalize it, it's just a fact of life. Everywhere we see it, prices are going up. I think that we have to pick and choose. I think that if you're going to dress a certain way, you're going to buy certain clothing. I can't apologize. I mean, I can't apologize. I'm, you know, it's, it's very difficult to raise prices. I really try to keep my prices as close to the bone as possible. I try to run my sales. But the fact of the matter is the prices coming to us, the retailers, have risen so much. Prices in China are high, you know. To say that you don't have to wear clothing is a silly thing. Certainly there are other places where you can buy other clothing that are less expensive. And that's the choice of the consumer. I am not here to say where they should buy their clothing. I'm not here to say how much clothing they should buy. We all know those answers. You can buy disposable clothing if that's what you want to do. And I actually think that there's a certain part of everybody's wardrobe that they consider disposable, whether it's an everyday T-shirt, whether it's socks, whether it's a nightgown, whatever it is. There are certain things that you can always save money on. To me, and probably because I have a store, but if it's Shabbos, a Shabbos dress or Shabbos clothing, and you're going to make the investment in one dress, Make it a good investment, especially for women's clothing, kids' clothing. I carry children's clothing, so obviously I see the value in it. Do I hear my customers saying, oh my gosh, prices are so high, it's so hard to buy for kids? Yes. There's no question about it. So it's a choice that you make. And then as far as teens and weekday, I I think it's the same thing. I think that we all know how and where we need to spend our dollars and where we get our best value. So do you look at value over quality? It's a personal decision. I'm not here to make those decisions for people. I know that I try to have as many different price points as possible. I know that I have quality. And then we let the customer make up their minds. I think that we're all educated consumers at this point, and we all have to wear clothing. The other thing that we have to do, and I'm speaking as a retailer now and not as a wholesaler, So we have to provide the opportunity for our customers to be able to buy our clothing. So while we as retailers have to be responsible for our own bottom line, which is really important, there's always an opportunity for our customers to be able to buy on sale. So I make a tremendous effort to be able to sell as much as I can, as much as I should at regular price. And then we do really good sales so that the portion of the community that wants to buy and sell it can also participate and be a part of buying from Jody's collection. So I think that, you know, it does even out. So if you want to really buy quality clothing and want to do it at a sale price, you can also do that. So everybody can take advantage. Let's talk about fashion a little bit because we're talking about sneeze and we're talking about pricing and we're talking about sizing. And those are all like such itchy topics. But let's talk about fashion, because that's really part of why we're in this business and what everybody, like, I know, like, for me, from the time I was little, this is all I ever wanted to do. And I started out, like, you know, drawing and wanting to be a designer and I was not so great at it. And then, you know, I was working for a clothing company and they told me I needed to go into sales, so whatever. But it's all about the fashion. Really, 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 in the bottom line, we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't love the fashion of it. Because I'm walking around the stores, I'm talking, i like, I just love it. Okay, so you have to have that passion. Then we talk about fashion, and let's face it, we all know it. It's been said. It's just heard it. There's really nothing new. It's just about recreating, always. It's always about recreating and taking what we loved or what we thought we loved or what we maybe liked and then recreating that and making it better or making it different. But let's face it. It's always about recreating something again and again and again. But I never liked the word copying. We don't copy. I used to work for a company in Manhattan. We used to, it was a men's company. We used to go into the stores. We used to buy up every single sample. And we used to adapt them. So it's, it's all about adapting fashion. And, and it's really cyclical. Fashion's really cyclical. Everything comes around. So, like, everything's long right now. Every, all the dresses are long. If you don't like long, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? But that will end. And then short will come back. And then everybody will complain that, oh, my gosh, everything's so short. I can't wear short. So if, if, you just, if you just wait it out, everything will come back. But it's all about the cycles of fashion. And if you take some time to study it, you'll see it ebbs and flows with the way our economy goes. It's all about the fashion. And, and yes, we do. We go into the stores and the from companies do it like the from, but everybody does it. The companies go into the stores and they go into the department stores and they go into the, you know, the better stores and they watch the runways. And it all filters down, by the way, from couture. It starts there and it all filters down until it finally reaches us. So we do. We go and we adapt. If you take a look at what's on the runway, as crazy as those styles look, ultimately and eventually that will come down. You will eventually see it coming into the retail stores for the ultimate consumer. So, yes, that's the nature of our business. We adapt everything, whether it's pleats or plaids or stripes or or leather or fur or metallics. It all gets reconstituted and adapted and redone over and over and over again. So that's really the nature of our business. And that's what ends up in your closet. Speaking of your closet, I don't think that anything stays in your closet for seven years, or should, unless it's a great bag, shoes, or vintage. I really think that we all want to replace, not replace necessarily, we all want to infuse our closet with something new and fresh every season, for sure. Or else again, we wouldn't be in this business. I'm not saying that we have to have a new wardrobe every season, but for sure, I know for me, I have my basics that I wear all the time, and I wear a lot of black, but I know that every season I want to freshen up. I want something new and something fresh in my closet. If you tell a 19 or 20-year-old girl that she's going to have in her closet in seven years what she has now, she'll look at you like, really? No, I don't think so. Even for me, I think that We will wear the one or two things, the staples, maybe every few years or for three years, maybe or two years or two seasons, let's say. But for sure, for women, you want to freshen up that closet every season. There's going to be a new skirt. There's going to be a new dress. There's going to be a new hemline. You you know, you don't want to look like you're wearing your clothing from the three seasons ago because it does get dated. There's no question about that. And for sure, like that's women. I mean, kids for sure, they grow. And, you know, we grow too. Our sizes change. So unless you want to be at the dressmaker, you know, every year, fashion changes, styles change. You do need to freshen up your wardrobe. I've touched on a lot of subjects. I just want to go back to that SNEAS subject one more time. Because I talked about it as far as referring to the vendors and business. And I don't know if I said this, but I just really want to reiterate it. The whole thing about SNEAS, it's really not just about the clothing. It really comes from within. So it's about who you are. Yeah, I sell SNEAS clothing. Jody's collection and it's fashionable, firm clothing for women, girls, and teens. But really, it's about what's inside. And I, I can't do anything about that. But I will tell you, when I have a young girl come into the store and she tries on a dress, I don't look. At her elbows, I don't look at her knees, I don't look at her collarbone. I really look at her face, and if she's smiling and she's happy, that's the most important thing because that's what's coming from. I'm going to cry. <laughs> that's what's coming from within. That because I know I'm putting a sneer dress on her. I know that because that's what I have. But if she's smiling and she feels good about herself, that's the most important thing because. She knows she's wearing something appropriate, but she knows she feels good in it. And forget about the looking beautiful comes from the feeling beautiful. And that's what we're doing here. That's what we're creating from the manufacturers, from the retailers, from the mothers who bring their girls in, from the mothers who come in, from the teenagers who come in. We're creating for them this feeling of feeling beautiful. And that's what we need to keep in mind. So, all the other stuff becomes extraneous. This is the most important thing. That one, for me, when somebody walks out of my store, they feel beautiful because of what we've been able to do for them.
1: Thank you, Jody. We will link Jody's collection in the show notes as well. Join us on the WhatsApp discussion group, send me messages, become a sponsor, listen to other podcasts on JewishCoffeeHouse.com, and see you next time. Have a great week.